So we're coming to the last of our home series, and uh, today I I'm going to talk about spiritual matters, coming home to spiritual matters, coming home to the gospel, really making sure that I understand the gospel, making sure that it really is a part of my DNA. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And there is a passage in Matthew chapter 16. If you brought your Bibles, you're welcome to open them to Matthew 16 and follow along or your device because uh, this is an important passage. This is, a, this is a conversation that Jesus has between his disciples and him. And it is a crucial conversation. It is transformational in how it is answered. And it is the same conversation that God wants to have with you today. So with that in mind, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus always liked to refer to himself as the Son of Man. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other, one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, crucial question, this is do or die. This is, this makes the difference. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is what he says. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered. I love Simon Peter because he always answers for everybody. And so that's what he's doing here. He's answering for the whole group. He's got the boldness to be able to say the right answer. And so he says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies and said, you know what, you know what, Peter? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven showed you who I am, basically. That's, you know, basically what Jesus said. So whether Peter really understood those words that came out of his mouth, I'm not certain. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know is that those words were inspired by God and those words were eternal in their making. And these words were so powerful that I believe that it launched Peter and the rest of the disciples into the kind of relationship that they needed to have with Jesus. So with that in mind, that's the same conversation that Jesus wants to have with all of us here in this room. And if you're online with us, he wants to have the same conversation with you as well. So with that thought in mind, to understand what it means to confess Jesus as the Christ, that's where we're going to have to start. We have to understand uh, two things in this process. There are two things you need to understand. So just for those of you that are new to the faith, Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. His name isn't Jesus Christ. He's Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. So the question then is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be, ha what does it mean to have the title Messiah? What is, what is the word Christ? They're used interchangeably in the Bible. Christ and Messiah, same concept. So what does that mean? That's what we need to discover, drill into a little bit. And then the second thing we need to understand is what did the Jews understand and expected the Messiah? That's, that's what we need to understand because it has great implications for you and I today. So let's start with the first question. Let's start with what does it mean? What does it mean to confess Christ? What does the word Christ mean? What does the word Messiah mean? Well, the word, the term Christ, Messiah, comes from the Greek word Christos, and it's an adjective meaning anointed. 
It literally means anointed. Jesus was anointed. So what does that mean? Well, I, I'll get to that in just a second. But the word Christ in the New Testament alone appears 531 times. 531 times Jesus is referred to as the Messiah, the Christ. This is a big deal. I need to understand what it means. It carries the significance of Israel's practice of anointing with oil for a special office such as prophet, priest, or king, of which Jesus was all that. He was the prophet. He was the priest. He was the king. He fulfilled all of that. So when he takes on this anointing, he steps into these offices, prophet, priest, and king. That's one thing that it means. This undoubtedly foreshadowed that and it was, it was an amazing thing. It also carries the idea, this idea of Jesus the Messiah carries the idea of a person who was approved by God. To be anointed means that you were approved by God. That, that's, where the basic, that's what the basic word means. There is a passage from the Old Testament that is so significant when it comes to the idea of Messiah the Christ. So let me show it to you. It's found in Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2, 2. And this is what it says. The kings of the earth prepare for battle. By the way, that is yet to come. This is a prophecy that it's going to happen sometime in our future. In our future, this has not yet been fulfilled. So the kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. You see that word, that anointed one? Same word as Christ, same word as Messiah. So how do I know that this particular psalm, Psalm 2, is speaking of Jesus. By the way, let me give you a heads up on the rest of Psalm 2. The rest of Psalm 2 says, the Lord laughs at the people of the earth. And he steps off of his throne and he brings great destruction upon this planet. And he has, he has people right where he wants them to be. So then let's go back to this passage and, and let's just ask the question, how do I know that this is talking about Jesus? Because it is. How do I know that for sure? And the answer to that is this particular Psalm, Psalm 2.2, is quoted in two particular New Testament passages that relate it to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, and Acts chapter 13, verse 32. So Psalm 2, this anointed one, is Jesus prophesied in the Old Testament. So that brings us to the age-old question, brings us really to the second question. So when Jesus came on the scene, he was obviously prophesied in the Old Testament. So what did the Jews think? What did they think about that? What, did they, what were they expecting? What were they expecting from the Messiah when he shows up on the planet? Because they were expecting the Messiah to come. So let me just see if I can help you with that. Sometime during the Hellenistic period, so don't get thrown off of that word. I'm going to come back and describe what that means in just a minute. That was the beginning of the intertestamental period. Well, what does that mean? That means that from Malachi, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. With me so far? You having fun? Malachi, also called the Malachi Papers. No, I'm just kidding. They're not really called that. <laughs> Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. There, between that and the writing of the book of Matthew, when Jesus comes along and the recording of the oral traditions and all that, and then eventually the writing, there were 400 years of silence from God. That's called the intertestamental period. During that period, there were a lot of writings that were helpful for us to understand. And during that period, the Jews came to use the word Messiah, Masiah, same word, 
to designate a person who would come to restore Israel. So the Jews, when they, when they, when they thought of the word Messiah, when the Jews of Jesus' day, when they thought of the word Messiah, they thought of someone who's going to come and deliver them. But the question then is, deliver them from what? So what their expectation was is that because they were in this huge period of time where they had Gentile domination over, the, over, over their lives, they were slaves. In Jesus' day, they were slaves to the Roman government. And so you know what they expected? They expected Messiah to come as a political leader and deliver them from the hands of all this Gentile domination, this Roman domination. That's what they were expecting. They were looking for a political deliverer. Does that sound familiar in our country? People looking for a political deliverer. If you just believe this person or follow this person, that they have all the answers and they're going to deliver us from whatever it is that we're in bondage to. But Jesus, the deliverer, came to rescue people first and foremost from their sin. That's what he came to do. Now, the question is, is here. So Jesus comes along. They're expecting a political leader. Jesus offers them the kingdom. Did you know that? Jesus offers the nation of Israel the kingdom right on the spot. He comes. The first sermon he preaches is about the kingdom. He offers Israel the kingdom. So what would have happened had Israel repented of her unbelief, turned to Jesus, turned to the Messiah? What would have happened if, they would have, if Israel would have done that? Would have God brought the kingdom then and there right on the spot? Would he have done that? The answer is yes. How do I know that? How do I know that? How do I know he would do it? Because Jesus never lies. Jesus gave them a legitimate, a legit offer. Repent and believe. Repent and believe and you shall receive. He gave them a, a legitimate answer, but, you know, an offer. But here's the thing is that you and I, as we look at church history and look at the history of 2,000 years, we know that God had a bigger plan in, in place. He knew exactly what would happen. He knew that the offer would be rejected. He already had that planned in his, in his scheme of things. That's the truth. And so I'm glad that he did because now, 2,000 years later, I'm a part of his kingdom. I'm a part of his kingdom because he offered it to me. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, to him, he gives the right to become children of God. So now because of their rejection, I get, I get to be a part of this kingdom that he offers. It is such a beautiful and powerful story. But the first time Jesus came, he came to deliver his people primarily from their sin, but they didn't want to be delivered from their sin. They wanted to be delivered from something more than that. They wanted to be delivered from this tyranny of Rome. So let me just see if I can unpack a little bit about the gospel. This, I think this is, will be helpful. In the movie, The Last Emperor, anybody seen that movie, The Last Emperor? Nobody here has seen, oh, one person, thank you. Thank you, one, th oh, there's another one. The rest of you aren't admitting that you've seen The Last Emperor, but let me tell you the story. The Last Emperor is about a young child anointed as the last emperor of China. And he lives a life of luxury. He has a thousand servants that just report to him that he can do anything he wants with. So his brother asked the emperor, what happens, this is a pretty fun question, what happens when you sin? What happens when you do wrong? And the emperor said, when I do wrong, somebody else is punished. He says, let me show you what I mean. So he breaks 
he breaks a, a, a glass and immediately he breaks a jar and immediately one of his servants is beaten in punishment for his action. He sins, he does it, his servant pays. That was the thinking of the Middle East. That was the thinking of that of, of Eastern thought. The king doesn't pay, somebody in the kingdom pays. So when Jesus comes along, this is what's ironic about the gospel. This is what is so, so this is how Jesus turned a world upside down. When Jesus comes along, he broke that pattern and bottom line is he was punished for his people's sins. He turned the world upside down. That was, you have to understand something. You know, today, 2,000 years later, we think that, you know, that's normal thinking. It wasn't when Jesus came. That was, that was a thought that was dominated by the East. And in the East, the thought was, is that the king was superior. The king was supreme. He couldn't pay for his own sins, so somebody else would have to. So Jesus comes, slips the world around, dies for my sins, dies for your sins, so that you and I would never have to be punished by God. That is called the grace of God. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus spoke those words, when Jesus spoke those words, his disciples' jaws dropped. You said, what? You're the Messiah. We, we've confessed you. This is in Matthew chapter 20. We've already confessed you as the Messiah. We, th we thought you were going to rescue us, but now you're saying you're going to give your life as a ransom? I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that moment in time when he said that to his disciples because it was so countercultural, so, so upside down. So here is what I'm going to say to you today. I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. It's okay. Um, it's why they pay me the big bucks here at Grace Church. So here's the deal. Listen to me carefully. We're talking about Jesus, right? Yes? So listen to me very carefully. No political leader is going to solve your problems. Not going to happen. I don't care who you're supporting, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I don't care. I don't care. No political leader is going to solve your problems. The kind of problems that you have, I'm telling you, <laughs> I know some of you. And the kind of problems that you have are deeply entrenched into your soul and only a redeemer can fix you. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. That's why I'm so passionate about Jesus Christ. He's the leader that is going to deliver you from the power and eventually the presence of sin in your life and deliver you into a kingdom that never has an end, deliver you into a kingdom that has a king that reigns forever and ever and ever. So like the first coming of Jesus, people today are expecting a political deliverer, which makes them vulnerable to the deception of the Antichrist coming into the world in the end of the age. It's what makes them vulnerable. So listen to this. This is the question that I now ask you. The most important question anybody has ever asked you in your life. And I mean most important question. I, I don't apologize for that. The most important question anyone could ever ask you is, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? You know, he's more than just a prophet. He's more than just a king. He's more than just a priest. Who do you say that Jesus is? The answer to that question is going to determine the outcome of your eternity. 
That's how important this, this particular question is. So because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes out of the Father except through me, he narrows, the, he narrows this focus, he narrows the gate, and he says, listen, listen, you got to hear this. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And it can't be, listen to me carefully, it can't be a casual, superficial, unthought-through answer. Because the disciples, when they finally answered this question correctly, died martyrs' deaths, were tortured, suffered great penalty for confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So it can't be just a casual answer. You know, in America, it's popular to be a Christian, right? What are you? You go to the hospital and they say, are, are you Christian? And, you know, everybody answers that yes, unless you're one of the other major religions. But if you're not one of them, you're going to say, of course I am. I mean, there's a small population that say they're atheists. You know, that's like, you know, 5% and, you know, even, you know, some that say they're agnostics. But, you know, the bottom line is, is that almost all of America, a good majority of Americans say that they are Christians, but they do not know what it means to confess Jesus as Messiah. So let's just dig a little bit deeper into that because this is really something that I think um, that is, I think is really powerful. So Let's think about Jesus for just a few minutes. Can we do that? It's church. We should think about Jesus, right? Give me a break. We're going to think about Jesus for just a few minutes. So in the Bible, thank you, brother. In the Bible, there are two separate pictures of Jesus, opposite ends of the spectrum. You wouldn't even think it would be the same guy. So the first one and this is a passage found in Zechariah chapter 9. This is a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. This is who Zechariah said the Messiah would be. So let me read it to you. It's not going to be on the screen, so you're actually going to have to listen to what I say. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. How's he going to come to you? Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus came along, all they had to do, all the Bible scholars had to do, all they had to do was to look at the prophecy and watch Jesus enter the, enter the city of Jerusalem on a donkey and they would have said, good night, just last week, this dude rose, raised somebody from the dead. One of his best friends had died and Jesus shows up at, you know, Jesus wrecks every funeral he ever went to. And so, so Jesus goes, Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. And now the Jews have a problem because now they can't deny Jesus because he's done a notable a miracle and everybody knows about it. I mean, can you imagine how that spread like wildfire? And you would think, you would think that the scholars of the day would say, good night. Let's look at the prophets. Let's see what they say about the Messiah. They were expecting the Messiah. They were longing for the Messiah. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that it would just be wise for one of them to say, what did, hey, I remember a guy by the name of Zech. Zechariah, I think was his name. And he wrote about the coming of the Messiah. Wouldn't you have thought that it, wouldn't you think that it would be just smart for them to go back and just look at this prophecy and go, whoa, donkey in Jerusalem, you know, powerful man, cleanses the temple. I mean, amazing. But no, they're just bent on stopping this Jesus 
who now confronts them with their sin because they didn't, they didn't want a deliverer for their, for their sin. They wanted a deliverer for everybody else around them. And Jesus offered them something different. That's the first picture that, that the Bible gives us of this coming Messiah. Second one is Psalm 2 that I read earlier. And Psalm 2 gives us a picture full-blown in the book of Revelation. So I'm going to read you just a small section of the book of Revelation. And this is the second picture that people should be able to see clearly. Don't miss this picture. Don't miss this one. If you missed the first one, okay, I'm going to cut you some grace. You can't miss this one. Here we go. Revelation chapter 19. This is what it says. Then I saw, this is John, recording a revelation that he's seen. He's been taken to heaven, shown this revelation. Then he, he says, then I saw heaven open and a white horse. Different than the donkey, isn't it? And I saw a white horse was, was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. The second time that Jesus comes, he's not riding on a donkey, he's riding on a stallion, and he's coming to make war on this planet. And he will bring his kingdom by force. He will bring his kingdom by force. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest and pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an, an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's his title. That's his name. That's who he is. We know him as Jesus. But he's coming to pour his wrath out. And I know 21st century Americans don't want to hear about that. But I'm here to tell you it's going to come to pass. As surely as the first coming came, the second coming is, is going to come. And so if I were sitting in this audience today, this is what I would want to make sure that I do. I would want to make sure that I confess Jesus as the Messiah. I would want to make sure that I got that, that right. I can get a lot of th other things wrong. But the one thing I can't get wrong is who is Jesus? Who do men say that I am? I can't get that wrong. Because the second coming, he isn't coming to offer grace like he came in his first coming. That's now. He's still offering grace. But there's coming a time when the age and dispensation of grace is ended. And now he brings his wrath. And you want to do whatever you can to escape that wrath. My friend, listen carefully. You, you need to repent, turn from your sin, embrace Jesus the Deliverer, because he is coming again. Who do you say that he is? I say he's the Christ, the son of the living God. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is awesome God. He is the deliverer that comes like a thief in the night when people are not expecting it, and then he's here. And so be prepared. 
in just a few minutes, we're going to have some people come forward and they are going to, you know, they've already signed up for baptism and you know what they're going to do today? They're going to come forward and they're going to confess their belief that Jesus is the deliverer. They're going to confess that. They're going to confess that they have, when Jesus asks them the question, who do men say that I am? Their answer to that question will be, I believe he's Jesus. He is Jesus, the Son of God, the deliverer, the Savior of the world. He is the Christ. That's their answer. They may say it in different words, but that's what really they're confessing. And today, we want to extend that offer to anyone that's here today in the audience. If you're here today and you know who I'm talking to because your heart's beating about 100 miles an hour right now, and you're thinking, I should, I should, I should, and then there's a voice in your head that's saying, but don't, but don't, but don't. I'm saying, but do. We're going to give you an opportunity to, we have plenty of time. No one's going to rush you. We have plenty of time. There's plenty of time for you to come and to be baptized today. If you've never been baptized since you've been saved, today is the day. Today is your day to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is that fair? Is that a deal? Yes? Or do I need to start over here? Okay. I don't need to start over. Karen, why don't you come on up? Karen's going to give us some more instruction about that. I'm going to pray just a second. But please respond to the call that Jesus gives you right now. Father, thank you for this day. And may this be a glorious day in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.